1, God's word says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I want to stop right there just for a moment before we get into our text this morning. And maybe you've come and you're reading that going, I'm blown away with great amazement. What in the world is going on? Where, where have I, if this is their first time here, where have I landed? What is this talking about? Um, we're going to learn as we work our way through the Apostle John is receiving a vision of something, and then what's awesome is, and I love this about our Lord, is the second half of the chapter, the angel gives the interpretation of everything for us. Isn't that beautiful? Is that pretty cool then? Is that, you know? It's awesome. It takes out all, listen, it takes out all the guesswork for us. It takes out fanciful interpretations. The best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. And there is a lot of symbolic language, and that's symbolic. The symbols are defined for us either in the book of Revelation or somewhere else in the scriptures. I am so grateful for that. Our God is a master teacher, and he wants us to understand this book. And I want to give us the, the big picture right now of where we are within the book of Revelation. In chapter 6 through 19... We are looking at future events, um, specifically a future event called the tribulation period. It is a seven-year period. Tribulation means heaviness, pressure, trial. It is going to be a global, worldwide trial. God will be pulling, pouring out his wrath, his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. And personally, I do not believe that we the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, those true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, I do not believe we will be here for that uh, time on planet earth. I believe to the church, it's in red writing, you can check it out later. Jesus said, I'm going to keep you from the very trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. So there's going to be a global trial that will come upon every human being. And Jesus says, he doesn't say, I'm going to keep you through it, or I'm going to keep you during it. He says, I'm going to keep you out from and away from that very trial that's going to come 
upon planet Earth. How's he going to do that? The rapture of the church. Jesus is going to come, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, John chapter 14. Jesus will come, and what's he going to do? He's going to come, he's going to snatch us out of here, mass evacuation, and take us to the Father's house. And we're called to comfort one another with those words, that we are not appointed unto wrath because Jesus took the wrath that we deserve for our sins when he hung on the cross. We put our faith and trust in him. We've passed, isn't that beautiful? We passed from death to life from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God now. Now we're children of God. And what's so beautiful is, and just to think this through, the day is coming when our next worship service will be in the Father's house. How radical is that going to be? Out of here. But we got to deal with this first. So we've looked at the judgments. Remember where we finished last week? We looked at the seven, uh, the seventh, uh, bowl judgment. Remember, there are series, chronological series of judgments that we see that will happen during this seven-year time period. It begins with the seven what? Seven seals. Y'all remember that? Seventh seal gave way to the seven trumpets. Seventh trumpet gives way to the seven bowls. And one of the things that happened during that last bowl judgment was Babylon being judged. In fact, look back at chapter 16, verse 19. Right at the second half of the verse, it says, And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And so once again, we are introduced to Babylon. Chapter 17 and 18, which we'll be studying over the next couple of weeks, um, we are going to learn about the judgment that will come upon Babylon. Babylon is mentioned, by the way, almost 300 times in the Bible. And I just want to point out something about that. Every time we read the word Babylon, or the name or title Babylon, it refers to Babylon. In the, it's kind of a simple thing, but we overlook that. Because sometimes people say Babylon means this, or Babylon means that. Number one, it does refer to a literal place. But not just a literal place, Babylon is also, it's reflected in a number of different ways. It's reflected as a uh, false religious system. It's also reflected in an economic system. And it has its roots all the way back in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. And Babylon is frequently personified as a woman. Did you guys catch that as we went through? personified here, and it's an attention getter. If you have a King James uh, Version Bible this morning, you get a King Jimmy, it says the great whore. That's an attention getter. Some of your heads popped up. That, it's meant to be an attention getter because this is someone that we do not want to be involved with as believers. In fact, in chapter 18, God's going to call his people to come out of Babylon to get away lest you partake in the judgment that happens upon Babylon. So we're going to learn what Babylon is. Again, she's more than a woman. Um, literal location, reflected in a number of different ways. I, I kind of liken it to Disney. I got more attention again. Some more heads are popping up. <laughs> Disney is not just a location, correct? But it's also a whole kind of a system, Right? They do movies, they produce stuff, some of the content's jacked up, you guys know that. It's interesting though, when you go, 
My, by, by, my, by the way, don't send me letters. Like, I'm not like bagging on, like, if you like Disney, hallelujah. But it's interesting, though, because when I go with my family, I don't do the whole outfit and the ears and all that stuff. But it, like, it mesmerizes people. People put on stuff, like, I can't believe they're wearing. Some of you are laughing maybe nervously, too. Like, I, I, I got that ears thing with the, my name on it. And... But, but listen, Babylon is a system as well, an anti-God, anti-Christ, um, religious, political, economic system that has existed um, since the post-flood days of Noah and will peak out during the tribulation period. Think about when the church is gone, by the way. We get raptured. The true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're out of here, boom. What's gonna, what is it going to be like on planet Earth when that happens? It's going to be heavy, isn't it? But for some people, check this out, for some churchgoers, it will be just continual business as usual. They'll just keep going to church, going through religious services. In fact, I think somehow, some way, the Antichrist is going to bring all religious systems, institutions together under one roof. And we're going to learn about that a little bit later on. But here's the deal. Babylon, according to God's word, if you're taking notes, there's six mentions, six chapters in the Bible dedicated to the complete um, and utter wipeout of Babylon. If you're taking notes, Isaiah chapter 13 and 14, Jeremiah 50 and 51, and then these two chapters here. And when you go back and read, it says, God says, Babylon will be so wiped out, no one will ever live there ever again. The problem is that hasn't happened. Babylon today, there's still people that live there in modern-day Iraq and in the area of Babel as well, where Babel was there uh, close to Baghdad. So there are still people there. It's not completely obliterated yet. So for these prophecies to come to pass, I believe that somehow Babylon, the city, has to get revived. Are you guys still tracking with me? In fact... Um, it says, look at 17, 18, real quick. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So that great city will be wiped out at some point. In fact, it, it likens the wipeout to Sodom and Gomorrah. And once Babylon gets wiped out, there will be a regeneration of the nation of Israel. In other words, the Jews that survive, they cry out for Jesus. They recognize the Antichrist is not the Messiah. They cry out for Jesus. In Revelation 19, Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom. And we're going to see that as we work our way through those Old Testament passages um, and so chapter 17 deals with the destruction of spiritual or religious Babylon. Chapter 18 deals with the judgment of the commercial side of Babylon. And then the, this is a one big intermission again, by the way. This is a pause in the action because we saw the seventh bowl poured out. And then in chapter 19, that was in chapter 16, chapter 19, the second coming. And we get an intermission to get more understanding, a parenthetical break to get more insight information concerning um, Babylon and what's going to happen during the tribulation. You guys following along still? You guys with me? Okay, good. Look at verse 1. 
Let's break it down now. So John is approached by one of the seven angels. Look what it says. He's approached by one of the seven angels who poured out their bowls of judgment on the earth. And then the angel does what? He tells John, he says, come, right? I'm going to show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So this angel says, come on, come join me. I want to show you something. And he's going to see God's judgment on a certain great harlot, whore, prostitute, depending upon your translation. Um, And what does a prostitute do? What does a harlot do? They sell their body for money. They take something that what? That, That has a proper use, and they pervert it for an improper use. And so um, as we work our way through, we'll get a very detailed description of Babylon. We learn that number one, that God will judge her. And then number two, look what it says. She's very powerful, very influential. She sits on, what does she sit on? Many what? Many waters. The many, what are the many waters? Do we know? We have to come up, we have to make guesswork on this. Look at verse 15. It tells us. Isn't this awesome? Check it out. Verse 15 tells us, what are the many waters? Then he, the angel, said to me, John, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So it's t- we're told what she's sitting on top of. If you're sitting on top of something or someone, you are exercising control, domination, authority. And so the angel is describing how powerful Babylon is, and she is exerting a lot of power and control over a lot of people. And it's been happening a very long time. We'll learn in just a moment. But she has global influence and power um, during the tribulation period. And God wants John to know exactly what will happen to Babylon. And God wants John to relay to us so that we might know exactly what happens to Babylon as well. What's the purpose? What's the the point? That she's going to be judged and that we should have nothing to do with her We should get as far away from Babylon as possible, not party with her, not be involved with her. In fact, read it with me, chapter 18, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Why? Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Does that sound good to receive those things? Judgment, plagues, God says, come out of her, my people, get away. Avoid Babylon at all costs. Don't be entangled. Don't be connected with Babylon. Well, what did she do to deserve this kind of judgment? Well, the angel tells us. Look at the next verse with me. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Look at what it says. With whom the kings of the earth, that's world leaders, committed fornication, so they're involved with her intimately, The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So not only are world leaders involved with Babylon, but men and women are intoxicated, made drunk by her and what she offers, and ultimately end up being connected with her intimately as well. And so what is fornication? Fornication is sexual immorality. 
Let's just be like super clear with that. Fornication is sexual immorality. Um, it is any sexual intimacy outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. And I can't believe I have to define the terms every time I teach, but I have to. Genetic male husband, one genetic male husband married to one genetic female wife. That's marriage according to God's word. Are you with me this morning? Okay, good. Any sexual intimacy outside of that is not only damaging and deadly, but, it, but it's sin in God's eyes. It's an abomination, whether it's adultery or whether it's uh, premarital sex or homosexual sex. However, also biblically, as we study, fornication is also a euphemism or an idiom of someone being intimately connected with someone or something other than God, i.e. idolatry. You're involved in the worship of something else other than the Lord. Why this verbiage? Why, why? He's trying to get our attention in this. What's true in the physical realm is true in the spiritual realm as well. Sex outside of marriage unites your life to someone other than your spouse or your future spouse that God has for you. Spiritual immorality or spiritual fornication um, speaks about when someone unites their life with someone or something other than the Lord, such as idols, the world. Um, God calls that spiritual immorality. And God, throughout the scriptures, talks about this. In fact, we're called the bride of Christ in the New Testament. God's people in the Old Testament were called the wife of Jehovah, and God spoke about the sins of Israel, the sins of God's people in these terms, that they were committing adultery or fornication when they ditched the Lord. They were committing adultery uh, for him. Hosea, if you're taking notes, Hosea, the whole book, Jeremiah 2 and chapter 3, Ezekiel uh, 16 and 22. In fact, we read about the same thing in the New Testament, don't we? We read about the same thing in the New Testament, y'all. We do. We are warned of spiritual adultery in James chapter 4. Isn't it great to have a James in your life? You guys like James, the book? He's like a straight shooter, isn't he? Don't we need straight shooters in our life? We need, we need Pauls, Peters, Barnabas, Barnabitas too, right? And that's the Spanish encouragers, but we need Jameses. And he says straight up, listen to this, in chapter 4, this is heavy, man. He says to them, adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What? That's heavy, isn't it? It's a good, it's a good, it is a good and necessary heavy this morning. Because think about it. Don't you want your spouse all to yourself? No. <laughs> we need to come up for prayer right now. <laughs> Do you want your spouse all to yourself? You want your spouse like having a bunch of people hanging out with them? Oh. You want your spouse all to yourself. Okay, let's, let, me, let me break it down a different way. How about your kids? You want your kids all to yourself? 
What if someone was messing with your kids trying to pick them off? How would you feel about that? Mama bears, come on. Wouldn't that bring up some cackles on the... And it says in the scriptures that God is jealous, that he wants us all to himself. I get it. I'm cool with that. Someone wants to pick off my wife or my kids, that's fighting words. That's fighting stuff. Don't try to swoop in and try to pick off. And the Lord feels the same way about you. He loves you. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. He doesn't want anything getting in between us. In him, I'm totally cool with that. Some people get tweaked about that. I'm totally cool. I love him. I am my beloved's and he is mine. But there are some people that name the name of the Lord and outwardly they're religious, seemingly joined to the living God, um, but untrue to him. And it's a great wake-up call for those in the church that maybe you've come to that place where you've drifted away from that love relationship with the Lord and something else has captured your attention and your affection other than the Lord Jesus Christ for whatever reason. And it's Babylon calling you, introducing you to things, and now you're in danger of going down that trail of not only being drunken with what she has to offer, intoxicated with what she has to offer, but we read that last verse. She looks pretty and looks beautiful, but all she wants to do is kill you and to take your life. And so we learn that Babylon can be reflected as a false religious system. She leads men and women away from Jesus and into the worship of, of idols, the worship of created things, other than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And it says drunk. She makes the inhabitants of the earth drunk. We read back in chapter 14, verse 8, she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then we read in chapter 18, verse 3, that, uh, is it verse 3? Yeah, she made all nations drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so she's trying to be, get people intoxicated. And, and some of you know, we came from that background. We came from a, a background of drinking and partying. And we know that to be drunk with alcohol is to be under the influence of alcohol. And I believe, personally, nothing good comes from it. I've seen the damage. Don't get me wrong. You have liberty to have one, not to get drunk, though. That's sin. Let's just call it for what it is. Amen? It's not, it's not a disease. It's not like you're going to walk by a bar and catch something if someone sneezes. Sin. It's a heart issue. And he's, it's being used, drunkenness here, and it's, again, a spiritual uh, context. Men and women will be under her influence spiritually. And when you are physically drunk, you have a distorted view of reality. You lose control. And not only that, your perception gets totally altered, gets all jacked up. And when you're spiritually drunk, the same exact thing happens. And here's the deal this morning. Cults, religious systems, religions... They have one common denominator. They have one common thing. And you know what that is? They minify Jesus Christ, our Lord. They, you know what they say? They say that Jesus is not God. And you know what? He is God. He's God the Son and the Son of God. The second person of the Holy Trinity. 
And anyone that minifies that or minifies the work that he did on the cross, like we can add something to it, that is someone that is off. They're trying to get you intoxicated with something that isn't true. What cults, what religions, religious systems will do is they will try to cut you off from Jesus Christ. They will try to keep you from Jesus. They will try to separate you from the head. Jesus is the head, correct? He's the head of the church. He's the preeminent one. We we learned this in Colossians, didn't we? No head, the body is, real simple, no head, the body is dead. That's what false religious systems want to do. Disconnect you from the head, Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, you need to stay connected to Jesus. I need to stay connected to Jesus, to abide in him. Don't let anyone devalue our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone ever tell you there's some other way to get to heaven. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ and his perfect, sinless sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so she sits on many waters. She sits on many waters. Again, in the last days, it seems if she's sitting on top of lots of people's nations, this is a global thing that she's doing, and it seems to be, to me, there'll be a unification of false religions. In other words, an amalgamation of all different religious groups, institutions. She sits on, notice, many waters, not one region, not one religion, not one group or institution, but many brought together under one roof, The unification of false religions, all of them together, it speaks of one world religious system during the tribulation period, is what I see in dominating the globe um, in this text. Do you guys see that? And there's such a move towards this today, isn't there? Have you guys seen this? Chrislam, some of you, Chrislam, right, uniting Christianity and Islam, and I think Judaism too, and the Pope is promoting it, and it's like, let's all hold hands, sing kumbaya, all roads lead to heaven, and you're good as long as you, whatever you believe is your belief, and we don't want to offend it, we want to coexist. (laughs) And... um, that's going to, you want to coexist, that will happen during the tribulation. But Jesus said, I am the way, Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. One way. That's so, you Christian, so narrow-minded, so bigoted, you fundamentalist, literal teachers of the Bible, so narrow-minded. Aren't you narrow-minded? Are you narrow-minded? We are, aren't we? we don't we appreciate narrow-mindedness? I do. Last time I flew, I'm, I am so glad the guy driving the plane was narrow-minded. You know that? Because the radio control guy said, okay, Niner, Niner, you can land on run... He, what if he said this? You can land on runway number one, three, five, take your pick. I don't want to be narrow-minded. <laughs> three is the only one that's going to get you safe. Only, that's the only way to land safely. 
What about with your dentist? Aren't you glad for narrow mind with your dentist? Aren't you glad he, he... I am. You know, you get put under, put, get loopy, whatever. That, I don't know. They put the stuff on you. You get something fixed, pulled. Aren't you glad she, the, she or he doesn't say, I don't want to be too narrow-minded. I know I, you just came in for a cleaning, but I pulled out your front tooth and put in a big dollar sign, gold, for you. <laughs> Some bling. I don't want to be too narrow-minded. I mean, you get, we think about, think about all kinds of... I'm so glad that there is a way, that God made a way for me to be forgiven and for us to be with him for, etern, for eternity. And so there's going to be a lot of people, though, during that time that they're going to gather together. And listen, many are infected by the teaching of this harlot. And listen, you, get sh- you shack up with her, you're going to get infected. You're going to get an STD. Spiritually transmitted disease, that is. <laughs> and so that's why we're called to come out of her, stay away from her. So many people from the greatest to the least end up being connected with her to the, their downfall and their doom. And, and I just want to say something, and this is not for our congregation. Well, maybe. Maybe it's someone on the radio or watching online or wherever. Um, if you are leading others astray from Jesus... If you're causing a little one that believes in Jesus to stumble with your false teaching, Jesus said it would be better for you to have a millstone put around your neck and you'd be thrown into the ocean. And and I know I, I joke about it sometimes. Jesus gets all gangster and stuff. Listen, that's heavy. If you're leading a little one that trusts in him to go astray, beware, look out, Woe unto you. I know that's not anybody here, I pray, that would ever try to derail someone from following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a heavy warning. Because here, our desire at Calvary Chapel, which is God's desire, is to help you facilitate a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to walk with him every day, to know him more, to know his word that one day you would hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Verse 3, it's time for liftoff. Y'all ready? Look at liftoff. Look at the next verse. Seriously. So he carried me away. Who's he? The angel. And he'll be like tour guide angel as we work our way through. He's kind of showing everything and, and explaining stuff. Tour guide angel, he transports John supernaturally, is that what it says, in the spirit, where to? Into the wilderness. And it's interesting, when you go to Israel, I had in my mind wilderness, you know, you read the Bible, wilderness, the wilderness of Judea, the wilderness here, the wilderness there, and then you go to Israel, and I'm thinking, sweet pine trees, big pine cones, you know, there goes Bambi and some deers in the wilderness. It's, when you read wilderness, it is dry, desert, desolate. It's like, like a barren wasteland is the idea. And that, when you're reading your Bible now, it should open up kind of some understanding of what is being communicated. And so John gets transported to this desolate, um, dry area. And what does he see? Look what it says to me. He sees this gal riding this wild ferocious, red-colored beast, animal with multiple heads and horns. 
We've seen this before, haven't we? Haven't we seen this before, y'all? Isn't, isn't that beautiful? The symbols are explained elsewhere in the book or elsewhere in the Bible. Where did we see these seven heads and ten horns originally? Chapter 12, you can look at it later, or you can flip over chapter 12, verse 3. It's a reference to the dragon, a.k.a. Satan, or the devil. And then, later in chapter 13, verse 1, we see the same imagery, the seven heads and ten horns. And then you're kind of like, well, same imagery for both. What are we talking about here? Well, what we're talking about here is that the Antichrist is connected with Satan. It's Satan who energizes and empowers the Antichrist. They're connected. And remember, at this time in the tribulation, there's a counterfeit trinity. Y'all remember this? Just like there's a real trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there'll be a counterfeit trinity, the devil being the counterfeit father, the Antichrist is the counterfeit son, and the false prophet is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. And just like Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father are one, so is Satan and the Antichrist. They are one. Purposes, plans in everything. And so this scarlet beast is the Antichrist. And as we work our way through this chapter, by the way, we're going to see pronouns, masculine singular pronouns, he, himself, that will be connected to this person, the Antichrist. But notice what it says also about him. His identifying mark is that he's covered full of names of blasphemy, profanity, unholiness, ungodliness. In other words, there's a constant dishonoring of the name of the Lord, talking trash about God, talking trash about his word, his character, his nature. Seven heads, if you're taking notes, in verses 9 through 11 of this chapter, um, the, the angel will explain this for us. In 9 through 11, this will be explained. Um, sneak preview of coming attractions, by the way. You guys like those? Sneak previews of coming attractions. These um, speak of kingdoms and kings that are connected with the Antichrist. And then 10 horns, verses 12 through 14, um, explains what they are for us. You can read that later also today. Um, these 10 kings are connected with the Antichrist during the tribulation, and they will ultimately submit uh, to him. And so what's the point? What, what is the point being made here? I, I think there's a couple of things we need to take note of. Number one, Babylon, the woman and the beast are distinct. They are two different entities, if you will. Do you guys see that? She's riding the beast, is the, is the picture that we get here. She is connected with the beast, but they are distinct. I'm bringing this up because we're going to see later in the chapter that she gets bucked off. You guys know what bucked off means? We've got some rodeo people here, right? So we, got some, we have a rodeo clown, too, in our church. Isn't that cool? She gets bucked off by the beast. In fact, that's going to happen, I believe, as we're getting this kind of uh, this parenthetical break, as we look at this, it happens sometime during the middle of the tribulation. And remember what happens in the middle of the tribulation? The Antichrist declares himself to be God, to be worshipped, right? And so he's, he's going to get rid of any other worship that's going on including the false religious 
system of Babylon. And so, and she will be used and abused, we'll see later on in this chapter. And so verse 4 tells us that this woman, what she's wearing, she's riding, she's dressed like royalty. She's adorned with the finest, most expensive jewelry as well. And then notice she's holding, what is she holding? She's holding a golden cup, this beautiful gold drinking vessel, but what's it full of? Abominations. A lot of words we don't typically use this morning, correct? Harlot, abominations, fornication. Again, this is all, I mean, to catch our attention. What does an abomination mean? What does that, what does that word mean exactly? Disgusting or gross. And what that means is what she's offering is disgusting and gross to God. Oh, the people taking this in, it looks beautiful. Oh, golden vessel, amazing. Wow, she looks great. Oh, thank you for that. I feel so good taking that. Amazing. And not only that, the cup's full of what? Full of the filthiness of her fornication, full of immorality, again, that's derailing men and women, taking men and women away from God, taking them away from the true and the living God, committing spiritual adultery. And uh, as we read this, this religious system is fabulously wealthy. Oh, it's beautiful. It's wealthy. It promises satisfaction. Just take of this cup. You'll be satisfied. And doesn't Jesus offer another cup? Remember the cup that he offers us? At the communion table? Every Sunday night, we take the communion cup together. The cup she has is full of what is disgusting and gross to God and things that will mess up a person's life and their relationship with the Lord And what does the Lord offer? He offers this cup of what? Of forgiveness. A complete, total forgiveness and washing of all your sins. Every time we take the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He died for me. He washed me clean. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're coming again for me, for us, for your bride. And not only that, what else does the Lord offer with the cup? Not only that, a real, vital, growing relationship with the true and the living God. Nothing phony. And he satisfies. She doesn't satisfy. Jesus satisfies so fully and completely. And he does a work of his spirit within each one of us. Miracle of miracles. When you put your faith and trust in him, we're reminded when we take the cup that God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in your heart and in my heart. That's a miracle. When we take the cup, we are reminded of the new covenant in his blood. That's part of the new covenant. Is God coming into your heart and changing you from the inner core of your being? That's the big difference between religion and Christianity, by the way. Because you may be here this morning going, well, what, isn't there, is there a difference between religion and Christianity? Absolutely. Listen, religion is man's attempt to get to heaven. It's man initiating trying to earn their way to heaven, work their way to heaven, get to heaven somehow, some way, based on their own righteousness, their own goodness, their own works. What does God say about our own righteousness? Ours. You guys know, filthy rags. Nasty, disgusting. That's religion. Religion means to link or to relink. It's man trying to link himself to God. The problem is we don't have enough links. 
The chasm's way too far. He's holy, we're not. We're sinners set apart from God, correct? There's no one righteous. No, not one. I need his righteousness. I need his forgiveness. And so what did God do? He initiated the whole deal. He loved you and I so much that he sent his only begotten son to die, to hang on a cross for us, to pay the penalty, the price for your sins and my sins. Suffer, die, be buried, and rise again. And then say, I'm willing to come into your heart and your life and clean you up from the inside out. That's a miracle. That's supernatural. That's Christianity. That's real Christianity. It's not fixing myself. It's not fixing other people. It's the Lord. Can you fix anybody? I think that's a great reminder this morning. Can you fix your spouse? No. Do we try? Yes. Can you? No. Can you fix your brothers and sisters in the church? Do you try? Yes. Don't try. You can't. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. He does a really good job, doesn't he? And so from God's perspective, what she's offering, what she's got going, evil, disgusting. But to men and women, beautiful. I mean, think about what she's got. Money, wealth, beauty, oh, power, power. People love power. Notoriety. And I think personally, this is my own opinion, I think Babylon is synonymous with the world. The, this world's, that John talks about, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world system with its values and morals and principles and direction and all those things that come at us day after day in our face and we're swimming upstream, aren't we? Against all of this stuff, against Babylon and all the influence and all of that. The Lord says, don't get involved with Babylon. You keep going against the current. I'm with you. I will help you. And if you're involved with her, get away. Because look, look what she offers. Look what it says here. Verse 5. Do we have time? We do. Let's do it. Not for Genesis, just for chapter 5. <sighs> look what it says. She's got some sort of identifying mark or headband. Is yours in all caps? I think there's only two places that I know of in the Bible where it's all... That means it's, that means it's serious, Isn't, right? If you're typing something, you put it in all caps. Does that mean like I could care less? It's serious, isn't it? But look at real, fli real, real flick, real flick, flip forward is real quick. That's a combination of words I just made up. It's called the flick. 1916. Speaking of Jesus coming, he has a name too. What is it written? King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all caps. And so in ancient times, sometimes prostitutes, harlots wore headbands. And it says what on it? Number one, mystery. And when we see that word mystery in our Bibles, does it mean like Nancy Drew stuff, like whodunit? Is that what it means? It means something that was once concealed is now revealed to those who are initiated. In other words, those that have been initiated into God's family. We put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And didn't a miracle happen when the author came to take residence in your heart and the Bible, what happens with the Bible? It goes from words on a page to life, doesn't it? That happened to you guys too or no? 
So it's something that was hidden, now revealed. It's mystery, Babylon. What does it say? The, the great. Not that she's really great and awesome. The idea is her influence and her impact is huge. In fact, in the last days, she will dominate the globe, and she has used her leverage for a long time, is the idea. Great Babylon. And then the mother, she's a mom. She's the mother of harlots. Did you guys catch that? She has birthed many others, many other false religious systems, many other groups, many other cults have been intox- that have been intoxicating and wiping out men and women throughout history, and she's the mom of it all. In other words, spiritual idolatry goes all the way back to her. That's why next week we need to look at and see that real quick in Genesis 10 and 11. That means she's much larger than any branch, denomination, institution, or group. She's not only the mom of all these other religious false systems, but notice that last thing, her fourth identifying mark. What's it say? She's the mother of what? Of the abominations of the earth. She's birthed and brought about, brought forth many things on earth throughout history that are disgusting to God. And if you're wondering what is disgusting to God, just look up that word abomination, or abominations, plural, and you'll get an idea. Well, we're out of time. I can't believe it. How do you, how do you close this out? Close our Bible, drop the mic. Close the Bibles? What, what do you do here? <laughs> let, me just, let me just say this. So, Babylon affects all of our lives every day. What do you mean, Mike? I'm not tracking with you. Anything or anyone that would seduce us from the Lord Jesus Christ... And there are a lot of voices, shall I say, that are trying to get your attention and your affection and my attention and my affection as well. Are you guys with me still on this? Are you guys hearing voices like I am? The pastor hears voices? What? You guys, you know what I'm talking about? Lots of pull from internet, news, people around us, the culture we live in, the country we live in. There's, listen, there are lots of Babylons trying to get our attention and our affection. And and those voices are seductive. They are alluring. But I, I look at this and they want to pull me away from Jesus. But they don't just want to pull you away from Jesus. She doesn't want to just pull you away from the Lord. She wants to kill you. We didn't get to verse 6. She's a killer. Well, Pastor, that's not a happy note. Let me remind you, she takes life, but Jesus gives life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. Like, just marginal life, or just like scraps? Life how? Abundant. 
And there is only one, there is, listen, there's only one that will satisfy you and me, and that's Jesus. Remember the woman at the Samaritan well came to Jesus, and he said, drink of this water and you will thirst again. And you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. And you can put that over Babylon. What she's offering, you're going to keep thirsting. You're going to keep wanting more and more of what she offers, but it will never satisfy you. You'll be intoxicated. You'll be all jacked up, all messed up. But then you come to Jesus and drink, you who are thirsty. And what did he say? I'll satisfy you. And not only that, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Isn't that a beautiful description of life walking with Jesus? Your life no longer a drain on people, draining, taking. Your life now becoming what? Something that gives, something. Now you have something to offer people. Refreshment and and building up and and something that's edifying and something that's strengthening others and loving others. And it's not natural, it's supernatural. It's coming to Jesus to be filled up. It's so simple. And maybe you've been flirting with Babylon. Maybe you've been engaged with Babylon and you're getting infected by her. It's not too late to come out of her. And come to Jesus. The Lord said, come out of her, my people. You come out, but you come unto the Lord. You say, Lord, here's my life afresh this morning. And the problem is, we give our lives to Jesus, and we're all in, aren't we? Oh, Lord, take my life. Thank you for saving me, for forgiving me. Here's my life. I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere, any cost. And then you start to walk. You're excited about the Lord. Hallelujah, I'm saved, right? The sky is brighter and bluer and birds are tweeting. and It's awesome. And then you put some miles in, right? And it's kind of like your, your wow goes to kind of well. God forbid it ever comes to a woe. And it's so simple to get back on track. It's, Jesus made it. We're sheep. Are sheep pretty intelligent critters? He's not dependent upon the IQ of the sheep, gang. We come to the good shepherd. We come to the, to the, the source of living waters. And we say, Lord, fill me up. I've messed up. I've been engaged in, with things of Babylon. I, Lord, I need to pull out. And reconnect with you this morning. And you know what? A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. You come just as you are to the Lord. I'm not saying this is a salvation call. This is you know in your heart. It's between you and Jesus. That you've been messing around with Babylon. And now it's time to come out. Now it's time to make your life count. Before the time is over. Amen. Isn't the Lord gracious? He's, it's so simple. You come right back to Jesus in his name. Lord, thank you so much. You-